B1 Journalist of the Year from the American Conservative Union at CPAC 2015. You like me right now. You like me. He's Jim Garrity. How do you like me now? Now that I'm on my She's a broadcast professional who's got pop culture by the throat, and she won't let go. Crank up the radio. Run for your lives, everyone. This is not a drill. She's broadcast pro Mickey White. How do you like me now? This is the Jim and Mickey Show. Welcome to the Jim and Mickey Show, brought to you by the Charing Cross Road Venereal Clinic. You may not have heard of us, but you've heard of our neighbor, the Playboy Mansion. And yes, with such an extensive group of recurring patients, no one has done more for cutting-edge research into sexually transmitted diseases than the Charing Cross Road Venereal Clinic. We've treated the clap, the drip, the dose, the pox, crabs, lobsters, lipverts, bloodfire, grayscale, lycanthropy, Captain Trips, and several we don't have names for. So once you've had your fun with someone you deeply regret, come on down to Charing Cross Road Venereal Clinic. Mick, I am Jim Garrity, joined by Mickey White. And Mickey, welcome to Midsummer. Uh, uh, you have a new addition, I understand, in your household. And it seems surprisingly quiet in your house, at least so far. Yes, yeah, so far so good. And uh, so happy to be back. Thanks to everybody for having us back this week. Um, yes, we have a new addition here in the house. For those of you who follow me on any of the social media, you will know um, or have listened to the previous shows. My puppy Shiloh finally came home last night. And um, for those of you who are unfamiliar, Shiloh is a German Shepherd Husky mix, or as Jim likes to refer to him, a Shusky. Mm-hmm. And uh, we got him home for the first time last night, and I have been, like, obsessed with Caesar Milan. Really? I love how to raise the perfect Caesar Milan dog. Is yeah, he's the, he's the dog whisperer. Okay. And um, so I've been obsessed with that. And one of the big things is the crating. And the first night of crating apparently is a great deal like bringing a newborn home. And when you're raising a dog this large, it's absolutely essential. And so, you know, all of my friends are like, you're not going to let him stay in that crate if he wants. You're going to let him out. You're going to let him sleep with you. I was a hard-ass bitch. (laughs) And because of that, he slept through the night in his crate. I didn't sleep much. But he did, and and now he seems like it's not like the worst thing in the world to him. So we got through one whole night, and I got no sleep. So you guys really are getting me at my peak best today. <laughs> honestly, the very best I've been in a really long time. And uh, and Jim, you were traveling yesterday. Yeah, this is going to be the special uh, plotting through insomnia session of the uh, episode of the the Jim and Mickey Show. So um, the good people at CNN. Um, please, please hold all derision of Clinton News Network till the end. Uh, Asked that, hey, we'd like to have you on. Can you come up to New York for a day? Um, I was like, sure. And they pay, they're they're very nice about this. They say, oh, we'll we'll have you on the Acela. Um, I live out, as I pointed out, in Authenticity Woods, which is in Fairfax County, which is not quite right next to Union Station in Washington. Uh, And other people may have known that the... um, uh, traffic getting into the city on a typical weekday in Washington, D.C. does appear to be like something out of the Mad Max movies. Um, worse, be- because there are tolls. Well, let me tell you, there's nothing worse than being stuck behind the giant truck with the flame guitar, um, and it's trying to make a wide turn and cuts you off and all that kind of stuff. Who wants so. to well, pay? Well, you know what makes me insane about driving up there. Who wants to oh, yeah. pay for your own death, Twelve fifty for an agonizing, fiery crash? Who wants to pay for that? <laughs> well, that's well, the thing. Like, I don't understand. They added in these HOV lanes, and as bad as traffic was in D.C., 
they added in paid toll roads as their HOV lanes, and you had to have a smart tag to go through it. So on all of my multiple trips in and out of, the, up of that area and the circle of D.C., it, it absolutely blows my mind how many people will try to get off on one of those because there's a sign that says, coming up, HOV, to the left, exit. And then every single time that I've been going up there, Close. they're closed. <laughs> of course. Of course. So you have a line of people trying to get into a lane that isn't even there. Yeah. Um, also, a little known fact, the uh, state motto of Maryland is death before yielding. Um, <laughs> so you, you have... You know, I totally those... thought that was a Virginia thing. Yeah. All right. No, no. It was, you know, it's that. And um, so... So I have to get up at five to get to the metro at five thirty to get to to get you know take the metro switch trains get into Union Station to make a seven o'clock train make that head up to New York City everything at CNN goes great. Um, so Mickey, you're familiar with the theory that we should be selling off Amtrak to some sort of you know model train enthusiast who can do something more effective with it. Yes. Um, <laughs> as we're you know we're leaving New York City and let me tell you you know I. <laughs> I, I'm, you know, I, I'm generally pro New York, but but Penn Station's looking a little, looking a little ragged, a little long in the tooth these days. Isn't um, that what they want? Aren't they tired of people making their New York pretty? I, I guess so. it, it's starting to really work at the TGI Fridays in Penn Station. Let me tell you, um, <laughs> it, you know, TGI. I've never seen a TGI Fridays that made, looked more like it was a Mondays um, than that one. In oh, there. nice! Just this this atmosphere of despair, just emanating in waves from especially there. Especially in so the evening the when street. you uh, that must be where all of the New Yorkers still hang out. Especially since they've in all the, been gentrified out of their neighborhood. In the yeah. evening when you're uh, attending unhappy hour. There you go. Yes. Um, so we're, we're heading out of New York. I catch the four o'clock train. I'm going to get home in time to uh, maybe see the boys and tuck them into bed. And uh, all of a sudden, you know, we get all of a sudden Amtrak suddenly becomes like something out of a spy novel. Passengers, we're going to give you more information about this train once we arrive in Newark. What? <laughs> That's ominous. That doesn't sound good. Like, like, like clearly they have information about this train, but they don't want to tell me. Right. <laughs> we're we're not telling you now. We're just we're just We're just letting this. you know that we're going to tell you that something's wrong with the train when we hit Newark. In yeah, case you what, know. debark at forty miles an hour. <laughs> I don't want any more. I, I don't know if this is some sort of elaborate <laughs> Joe Biden practical joke or something, or I mean I mean the sequel to speed, you know. Oh, um I, I guess I could Oh one of that. the Denzel movies, because he's done multiple on a train. Right. Except that in those movies it's always like the train can't stop and it's going really fast. Yes. Uh, and that was not what was going on with that Acela. So they say, all right, so finally they have us pull into Newark, um, scenic, lovely Newark, New Jersey. Um, and they have us sitting there for a long time. They're telling us not to get off the train because a mechanical. <laughs> I, always thought, I always thought a mechanical was an adjective, but apparently a mechanical is coming to look at our train. Oh, oh. Um, I, I, you know, the, the poor woman conductor who's, who's having to keep us these information, she's got a hard enough job already. I'm not going to correct your grammar. But I, I'm told time and again, a mechanical is on his way. And I remember saying, thinking, how is the mechanical getting here? <laughs> I hope he's not taking the train. <laughs> so after a good 20, 30-minute delay, the mechanical has determined that there is something mechanic wrong with this uh, You with don't this train. say. Yes. And we all have to get off in scenic Newark and wait for the next one. Now, awesome. no one really bothers to explain when the next uh, train is going to go, um, because on, on the Northeast Corridor, at the risk of sounding like an elitist snob. I was uh, just going to say, you sound so elitist already. I want to know if you're on yeah. the quiet car. We're talking about literally the Estella Corridor, yes. Um, so I, I like the quiet car just because I don't have to talk to anyone. Um, uh -huh. 
you know, it kind of it. You can just call it the antisocial car, uh, and that'd be perfectly fine labeling with me. Alternately, if you talk loudly on your cell phone on an Acela car, inevitably Mike Allen's political newsletter will quote it the next day. Uh, <laughs> someone who heard you. So I was really tempted to say, you know, to talk loudly on my phone and say something like, Donald, relax. It's going to be fine. Once you pick Kanye for Veep, it's all going to work out just fine. Kanye doesn't uh, have time for that. Today is his birthday. just turned 39. Oh, and really? he's going to be running in 2020. So, I mean, really, he doesn't no, have no, no, time no. for that. I, he's got to put this stuff together now. <laughs> I'm looking forward to the Trump West Make America Gold Again. Uh, nice. With our second lady, um, who will be, you know, well known for... Um, attracting attention. But anyway, so eventually one, you know, one aggravating delay after another. I believe it was like 17 hours door to door um, for my day up in New York. But, you know, so this is the hard life of a pundit. I'm sure it leaves you, you know, full of sympathy with me. I'm sure uh, our listeners are extremely sympathetic to your very elitist behavior and lifestyle of riding up on the Acela train to New York to be on CNN. And then you got delayed on your way home. Did they have yeah. the kind of M&Ms you ordered in the green room? Nice. They did not, in <laughs> fact. Yes, did they? Did they um, I'm not even going to say that. We'll just go with, hopefully you had a really good experience at CNN to make up for the 17-hour trip that it took you to get to New York, which should take an hour and a half. Yeah. Um, now, this is not the farthest I've gone for an interview. Um, a fine, fine network. Uh, in fact, Dave, you're, you're, you're down. Are you down in Houston or Dallas? I'm in Houston, and I could get to Washington, D.C. or New York faster than you did. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, I have had a fine institution that once flew me down to Dallas for appearances. Uh, so I get up in the morning, take a car to the airport, fly down, do my appearance, get back, go back to the airport, fly back. The economics of television make no sense to me. No, uh, I'm, I'm a joyous beneficiary of it. Uh, I've always kind of looked at that and said, like, so you'll you'll pay for all this, but not pay me to appear. Okay, fine, whatever. But anyway, right, exactly. Again, this is how hard it is to be a life as a pundit. If you want to call me a snotty rhino, elitist, spoiled um, brat, you know, yeah, you go right ahead. You know. Okay, yeah. cool. Then we shall. We'll just call you a spoiled brat. But we knew that. There this you is, go. This isn't news. This is this is um this is us just getting you know a, a better taste of your elitist lifestyle. But you know what? I'm housebroken, Mickey. Uh, <laughs> let's say that. No, at least not yet. <laughs> well, yes, yes. Shiloh is not housebroken yet. However, he is learning very quickly. Um, one of the things that concerns me most, and I mean this, is that the dog is so very very smart that I need to be smarter than the dog. Okay. That is, is like, like, is he comparing SAT scores? What makes you? Well, it's, it's ridiculous, really. Um, you know, I was, I, as I told you, I've been reading up on all these books and reading up on Caesar, and I'm all about my calm assertiveness. Mm-hmm. And that's how I present myself to the puppy. And so he's totally imprinting on me, like Caesar said he would, which is fantastic. Good. I've been using this for all my visits. Um, and he's, you know, we already did our first leash walk, mm. and he did fine. And, you know, so I'm like, he's great. And then I'm like, is he playing me? <laughs> like, I just find myself being like, am I getting played by my dog? Because he looks at me and I'm like, you know what's happening here. This isn't working. Like, So I, I have to be very careful with him and make sure that while in these first couple of days home, I have to keep him on schedule and whatever. And like I said, apparently it's like having a child except for the whole, you know, having a baby part. In his mind, he's training you. I know. And that's why I'm trying to like train him back. And, and, and also train Mr. Bias to do the same things that I have decided are going to be the rules around here. That's right. He's going to change the diapers or whatever the equivalent is. Right? Yes, exactly. <laughs> I'm like, okay. And you, you've got to figure, like, this is your rule. This is what you have to do. 
<laughs> and we had our first, you know, little accident in the house last night. Uh-oh. And you'll love this because it's, we had just come back from walking across the cul-de-sac from the neighbor's house. And the dog and I got back first. And he came inside, went on the floor. And, of course, you know, I immediately call Mr. Bias. Mm-hmm. I'm like, Daddy emergency. <laughs> Get on over here. And uh, so he shows up. And, of course, he immediately scoops it all up. He explains to me, like, I don't know how to do it. Explains to me how to pick it up so that in the event that I would want to do that in the future myself, how I should go about that. And I was like, thank you for explaining that very, very much. I'm going to work on getting him outside next time. Any place, any time is a good time for coke. Lawrence Taylor denies any involvement in this. Mr. Whipple, please don't squeeze the Charmin. New squeezably soft Charmin bathroom tissue from Procter & Gamble. Take it home and squeeze it. Welcome back to the Jim and Mickey Show. I'm your host, Mickey White, along with Jim Garrity. And we are just getting into kind of the end of an era, if you will, because Hugh Hefner has put up the Playboy Mansion for sale and it has been purchased. This is the historic Playboy Mansion, the first one, with the legendary grotto and all of the stories that have come out of it. And in a twist of fate or perfection or whatever you would like to call it, the son of the Twinkie King, so I guess that would make him the Twinkie Prince, (laughs) bought it. And so now the Playboy Mansion is going to be filled by the Twinkie Prince. Yeah. For those of you saying, oh, how could you possibly have such a silly name for silly nickname for a guy? Keep in mind, the guy's actual name is Darren Metropolis. <laughs> so Twinkie <laughs> Prince is just as good. Or else he's the, well, next, uh, he's the next Marvel superhero. Right? He's like Iron Man. <laughs> yeah. So <clears throat> I, I, on the one hand, you could say, yes, Mickey, this is a uh, <clears throat> the end of an era, the closing of a chapter. But I, I seem to remember this comes a couple of months after Playboy stops showing uh, naked people in their uh, in their magazine. Um, there was a point when Hefner got married in the 80s where he stopped throwing the, you know, Bacchanalian orgy parties that the uh, mansion had become infamous for. Um, there was the, was it Holly, what's her name, who wrote the book, who basically said the, the mansion is just full of dog poop that's not been picked up. <laughs> yes, you know. that was Holly. Uh, that was Holly, her- which I think is really funny because I, I didn't really watch a whole lot of the, um, what was it? It was the life of the Playboys, basically, but the three girls that lived at the Playboy Mansion with Hugh at the time when he had his three girlfriends and they had a reality show. And it was Holly and Kendra and I don't remember the other one. Kendra went on to marry. The third one was called the third one. Yeah, exactly. She was like the third one. Um, Kendra went on to marry Hank Baskett, and Holly wanted to marry Hugh Hefner and have his children. She was convinced she was going to be the next Hugh Hefner, (laughs) and he was not. And so when she left the house, she wrote this scathing book and gave all these horrible interviews, only to then realize her only claim to fame was being a Playboy bunny. And so she might want to try to, like, rephrase some of that. Yeah. See, here's the thing. And I guess you could say there's some sort of, you know, national metaphor for the Playboy Mansion, how it represented a path to fame and fortune for some people. <clears throat> Do you know what? When Hugh Hefner clearly is, is near the end, right? And so at some point we will be reading his obituaries and there will be people who hate him and people who sing his praises. But I think what, you know, what stands out and what seems most remarkable is how much the entire Hefner persona 
was basically a desperate scream that I'm not Larry Flint. Yes. <laughs> I'm totally different from that guy. Yes, I'm not am, that guy. Yeah, you should be reading Playboy for the articles. We it. are cultured. We are refined. We have, there, there was all of this like air of, of, of sophistication and this attempt to kind of sell themselves. Says, no, it's not about looking at naked women, really. Um, and yet, it's a lifestyle. You know, yeah. And yet, here's the thing is that nobody talks about like the Life magazine mansion. <laughs> <laughs> I suspect it's not nearly as entertaining. Right. Or, or you know, the, you, you could find everything that Playboy claimed that it was offering, particularly in the heydays, I think of the, you know, let's say late 60s, uh, 70s, and into the early 80s. Mm-hmm. Of this, no, we've got Norman Mailer. And we've got all of these, you know, probing interviews with all of these key figures and, you know, uh, Muhammad Ali, I'm pretty sure, was, was the kind yes. of figure. Kind of, okay, very similar, I guess, maybe to what Cigar Aficionado kind of sells itself as today. Yes, yes. Right? Except, except for in, yes, except for cigars. Huh. No. Like, nobody's got to cover up the cover <laughs> of Cigar Aficionado at the drugstore because it's got a naked person on it. Jim, I don't know about you, but uh, I've seen a few bunnies, so to speak, in uh, National Geographic magazine, if that'll somehow bridge the gap for you. <laughs> People objected to the National Review Centerfold um, years and years ago. Look, I think Milton Friedman really held up really well throughout his, his career. Um, you know, I could I could look at that or uh, uh, Ludwig von Mises or, or any of those economists uh, centerfolds we were running back at the early eighties. Do dumps. not give me that crap. I do not believe for one second that you, a young Jim Garrity, did not try to get your hands on the copy of a Playboy. Uh, did not have a great deal of act. I would say if you want to, you know, if you want to say Sports Illustrated swimsuit issue, I, I will plead guilty to that. Okay. Uh, and, so what you're really, saying is you didn't have unfettered access to nudity. Well, yeah. And, and the other thing is that, you know, you did it, you it, not it, have friends that bought it? I don't remember any of us having. Probably not. You were a good kid. I, I was. Here's what I remember. Yeah. I remember the uh, Playboy channel. And when I was younger, we had a satellite TV because I lived in the sticks and they didn't have cable out there. And they still don't. And we had a satellite. So at that time, you know, it was one of those big, huge dishes. And you picked up whatever was on the air. And at that time, there was the Playboy channel. So I'd be like flipping through. Flip, flip, flip. I was probably like 10. Flip, flip, flip. And then you're, whoa, what is going on here? Mm. And it was, you know, they ran basically all of their Playboy videos, and then even Hugh had a show on there. It was like a nightly like talk show, like Johnny Carson, except for nude chicks. Were Either we, one of you familiar with this? Yeah. No, I, I was going to say, were we supposed I, – I, what I guess I'm, I'm fascinated by is the degree to which Hefner became this, this icon, like how much it became about him, not about the attractive women around him. Mm-hmm. And as it, okay, let me ask you, like, if he didn't always have attractive naked women around him, how much attention wouldn't he have been uh, Gore Vidal? Shrunken, like no-chest nerd. That's what he is. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Oh. He's a very little man. Um, and if you see him next to girls, you can always tell that, actually, um, because they're usually pretty tall and buxom, and you know that's what he likes, and blonde. <laughs> but when you look at the women that he's been with over time, that's where he ages. It's not <laughs> like just looking at Hugh, because he's been old for as long as I can remember. But when you look at the women who he's dated over the years, I mean, going back to Barbie Benton, right? right. Like how old the, they right, are. Right, right, and then right, you're right. like, oh, my God, this man has been out 100 years. And he slept <laughs> with, say, like, this, all the hottest chicks, like, in each decade. The story of Hugh Hefner is going from, oh, my God, good you know, man. He, he, you know, she's young enough to be your daughter 
to good God, man, she's young enough to be your granddaughter. Mm-hmm. So I think today, good God, man, she's young enough to be your great granddaughter. Correct. You know? Yes. Um, the, 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 yeah, he learned though. You want to have guys around. You have chicks around. Oh, look! I yeah, said I, just, uh, I sent a text to you earlier, Jim, about uh, ink-stained wretches buying ink by the barrel. Hefner buys <laughs> Viagra by the barrel. He would almost have to. Yeah, I, I, so, I mean, or he just doesn't have sex anymore. Like, he, this is all, like, now we're just living off of the, the fumes of the 80s and 90s, we'll say. <laughs> because remember, there used to be Playboy clubs in the 70s. Yep. Where you could go into a Playboy club, and they had the Playboy bunnies. And I don't even know if they still have any of those still open. Women wrote magazine articles by posing as bunnies and getting jobs at Playboy clubs so they could get you the inside scoop. Remember how important all that seemed? Oh, mm. yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Gloria was Steinem was a Playboy bunny. She that's was a right. she was a bunny working in a club, and that's how she got her her leg over, you might say, in the feminist business. Well, I, I was right. going to observe that I'm sure they they did remarkable groundbreaking uh, reports revealing that men treated uh, acted like creeps around Playboy bunnies. Uh, that's completely un, unforeseen and un, unforeseeable. Who would have thought that drunk men would act weird around women yeah. who are barely dressed and had little bunny tails and ears on? Um, you know, hey, I, I remember. Guess, ooh, 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 I remember the bunny ear sticker. That you, they would give you at the tanning beds whenever I used to tan, obviously back in high school. Um, but you would put the little Playboy bunny sticker on. And so that when you would come out, you'd peel it off and then you could see how tan you got. And so when you were done being tan, you'd put the little bunny back on and, you know, out and in. And then at the end of the summer, you end up with like this little white bunny on your body. You know, it's not hard to think of older now, how men. how did my parents allow me to do this? I don't know. <laughs> um... <laughs> it's not hard to think of older men who I as a, you know, now middle-aged, although sometimes in denial, uh, man wouldn't mind, you know, growing older to be, right? You can think to Ernest Hemingway. You can look at Clint Eastwood. There are figures of masculinity who you could say, yeah, you know, when I'm 70, I, I want to be like that, you know. My neighbor. I don't think 70-some-year-old Hugh Hefner is exactly you – know, they're probably always like, oh, no, I'd be – no, you want to be the 30 to 40-year-old Hugh Hefner, right? Mm-hmm. You know, otherwise, because you know, everyone – basically at these Playboy Mansion parties, if you're not there and you're not sucking up to Hugh Hefner, are you really like, yeah, Hugh, or are you kind of like, oh, my God? Because I've seen <laughs> women like who see pictures of him uh, with the three, you know, blonde, buxom babe, mm-hmm. babes, and they just kind of cringe. And it's like, Ugh! and it's not that they're cringing of what a guy, what he is. They're cringing at the thought of being that blonde, buxom yes. woman and having to pretend that, yes, you're really attracted to Hugh Hefner. That's that where I would find exactly myself. exactly what you want, you know. See, that's where I would find myself is that, uh, but again, these girls go into it and they knew way back in the day when they got into it that it was much more of a business arrangement than it was a relationship. And once he started this, you know, thing of keeping, you know, a couple of the bunnies in the house with him, the ones that his favorites were, et cetera, um, I think that that was that that, again, just added to the error, the mystique, the whole idea of going to the Playboy Mansion, knowing that it wasn't ever just going to be Hugh Hefner because he's always got his girlfriend's. In-house. And by the Plus way, it's the your money. producer's job to Google while you talk, and I have discovered that two months ago, Hugh Hefner celebrated his 90th birthday. Wow. Okay, so he is still kicking it at 90. Viagra uh, as a preservative. Who would have imagined? <laughs> I can only assume that that also would include some form of, like, cocaine as a preservative, and, because, you know, we're talking 70s, 80s, and I'm assuming a significant amount of champagne. No doubt. An enormous yeah. <laughs> chemical-based lifestyle. 
Um, you know, here's the thing. It'll be interesting to see when he does pass on how he is remembered, how he's discussed. And we, we've talked about how Playboy found itself having a harder and harder time competing with the era of Internet porn. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we had pointed out that Maximum can get celebrities um, to to strip down. We talk about ESPN's The Body Issues, right? I mean, it wasn't mm-hmm. – it's, it's not that unusual to see celebrities with no clothes on anymore. And in light of that – you know, do you need an institution like Playboy? Or, or is it, I guess that's the point, is that it's now re- it's trying to be Esquire or GQ. Yes, it's, it's, it's trying to reframe itself. Of, yeah. But, I mean, unfortunately, what really is going on is that about 15 years ago, Hugh Hefner's daughter took over, maybe 20 now. Um, but his daughter's actually been running the company for many, many years and has slowly made all the shifts and changes and things like that. But... Honestly, I mean, they could not have ever foreseen what internet porn would do to destroy their business. Because, I mean, why, no, no one, no boy, you know, or normal boy, not you, Jim, Dave, (laughs) no normal boy, you you know, is going to go buy a magazine or sneak a magazine with his friend anymore because all they have to do is go online. I was just saying, you can't be this naughty, rebellious counterculture figure without the stodgy establishment culture to exist. Right. And without that, it's as if Playboy has lost. Because the other thing also was to say <clears throat> that, that you know, oh, you could enjoy this, but we're still sophisticated. We're not a bunch of, of rutting animals. Look at us in our, our bathrobes and our pipes. and we're That is debating. totally – like you see a bathrobe and pipe or even just imagine it in your head, and that is Hugh Hefner all the time. That's what you think of. So right. that worked. I mean, he, he definitely developed his brand to be that guy. I have just read uh, also that talk about the establishment. Internet porn is more than 90% of the content of the Internet worldwide. <laughs> so that is the establishment. <laughs> Hugh Hefner is now the, the crazy exhibit in the museum somewhere. How do you count 90% that? 90% of the Internet is porn? Well, it doesn't drop, help drop that, that it's mostly skeptical. video, and videos have a high level of data in them. So uh, that probably right. contributes to it. But it's 90%, <laughs> it's 90% plus. Uh, uh, I'll, well, I'll grant it's... it probably gets more traffic than the C-SPAN archives. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Now you're in them, so maybe maybe yeah. there's a chance yeah, yeah. for C-SPAN. The 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 overlap is uh, probably there are probably a, lo- a short list of people who have appeared in both like Sonny Bono and <laughs> right? Arnold Schwarzenegger. Well, so. and that was the thing too back in the day is that women look forward to being selected to be in Playboy. If you were a famous woman, you were selected by Hugh um, and invited to come and be in Playboy. I mean, a lot of women took advantage of that, including Farrah Fawcett, who did it at I think fifty or sixty before she passed away. And remember, she did it in the gold body paint. From Dynasty, what's her name? Yeah, old lady, um, the English lady, the sister of the novelist. Why can't I remember? I'm old. Oh, Collins. 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 Yeah, jo- Joan Collins Joan did Collins. it, and she was yep. like sixty years old. Um, well, it's sad to say the women of Playboy are vanishing. But just in case you've been enjoying yourself too much, we have a creepy and disturbing topic coming up about real vanishing women right after this. It certainly is a big bun. It's a very big bun. Big fluffy bun. It's a very big fluffy. Where's the beef? Introducing our new grilled chicken. Hungry for more? No matter how far you've gone, there's only one place that's still got all the best. Home. Hi, Mama. You had your first taste of gusto right here. 
Schlitz brooded to be the best then, and they still do. Life's too short to settle for less. Go for the gusto, but don't go at all. Welcome back to the Jim and Mickey Show. I am Jim Garrity, joined by Mickey White. And my co-host is a devoted, dedicated, passionate fan of true crime stories. And uh, mm-hmm. uh, Mickey, I understand you found a new uh, show that you fall in love with or, or found an obsession about in the tradition yes. of America's Most Wanted. It's, uh, the Vanishing Women, is that what it is? It's The Vanishing Women. It is a six-part series on ID Discovery, which those of you who listen to the show often or follow me anywhere or read anything I write know that that is my favorite channel in the entire world. I love ID Discovery, or as Mr. Bias calls it, my death channel. Yeah, I like it. And they're doing a six-part series on a very small town south of Columbus, Ohio. And I'm not going to pronounce it correctly. Chinkalathi is what it looks like, but it's some Indian word, so we'll just go with southern Ohio. I lived in Cleveland for a while. It's Chillicothe. There you go, Chillicothe. Thank you. And uh, Chillicothe is a town of about 25,000 people. And within a year, six women have gone missing, four of which have been found dead. And it's a six-part series. They still have not caught any of the perpetrators. And they don't know if it's one, although it certainly feels like one at this point, you know, because they're all of similar age, et cetera, backgrounds. Um, But I just watched the very first episode on Monday night. It it airs on Monday nights. It's on demand now. Um, And it's at 10 o'clock. And like I said, it's only six weeks. And it appears that they're going to do one episode per woman or per woman and kind of lead into the next one with that. And thus far, I mean, one, it, I have to tell you, it is the creepiest theme music, and I cannot get it out of my head. Okay. And it also has a really creepy visual, so I'm going to try and find that and put that up on our Facebook page. Um, that's facebook.com forward slash Jim and Mickey show, mm-hmm. because it's a picture of a lake, but if you look at it, the lake is a face. And they, it's you know, obviously Photoshop, but it's not enough that it doesn't freak you out. <laughs> totally freaks me out. And like I said, the, the, it's got this really creepy haunting theme scene, music. And the best part is, like, they roll into this town, you know, obviously filming this, and they're trying to help the small police force and the people of the town come together. The reporter was actually the one who kind of connected the dots between all of these cases that she had written about and realized that they had had quite a few go missing, and, you know, then the bodies started turning up kind hmm. of thing. And you had people calling in like, I found a woman in my yard wrapped in a blanket, dead. Um, yeah, these are the kind of 911 calls they started getting in this little town. And they go to the sheriff who looks like he's like 12. I'm not going to lie. Uh, he's, he's probably in his 40s, but he looks very young, rather um, robust man, we'll call him. Um, and a very large man who looks like he is in way the hell over his head. Like, and he says, you know, I've heard the word serial killer more this year than I've ever heard in my life. And meanwhile, I get the impression that prior to this, he may or may not have just been giving out parking tickets. As Mr. Bias and I are watching it, he looks at me and says, at what point do they call the FBI in here? And I'm like, I don't know. Maybe they already have. Maybe we get to that in the next show. Like, you you would think, sure. you know, that this would be the sort of thing they would uh, consider that. Funny you mentioned that because <clears throat> as you're describing this, Mickey, it's reminding me of, of 
one of our favorites and one of my all-time favorites. Um, that this is kind of the one of the themes of the first and in some people's eyes only season of True Detective. Mm-hmm. Um, that the idea of with Woody Harrelson and uh, <clears throat> McConaughey, basically this attitude of, of looking at murders that are aimed at the people on the sidelines of society mm-hmm. um, prostitutes uh, people with drug problems people who are kind of transient <clears throat> and this nagging sense that uh, there are people who are largely ignored by polite society who make really easy pickings for somebody who's got uh, murder on their mind and, and that to- appears to be what path we are heading down um, with the first show I don't want to give too much away but with the first show, as they're explaining the first victim um, and her situation, they get into the opioid situation and talking about they have one in five of all of their residents is addicted to opioids. One in five. And, um, yeah. And so for a town of 25,000 to lose six women like that, the first one was addicted to heroin. She was prostituting to support her habit. I'm going to go ahead and guess that we're going to find out that the others were doing some other risky behavior as well. Because just as you said, that makes very easy pickings for someone who's looking to take someone out. They, they often assume that a prostitute won't have family, won't have anyone who cares about them. And oftentimes these people who live on the edge of society don't have a support system out there, at least not locally. And what happened with this first girl was that she was a local girl, born and raised. Um, and when she went missing, her family was all around asking where she was at. And it suddenly brought everyone all together, and they were going to have this big town meeting. And, you know, memorizing at this point, there were three girls that they had connected. And as they're having this memorial in town, a call comes in that they found a body. And Tiffany Sayer, who was the first victim that they talk about in the series, had been missing 18 days at this point. So they all go rushing. They leave the memorial. They didn't even get to finish the memorial service. They all rush over to see if they found Tiffany's body. Well, they found a body, but it wasn't Tiffany's. It was another woman, not one of the three that they knew about before. What a nightmare in a town full of secret keepers, you know, the the Vicodin and all that. That is the local economy of Chillicothe. They got nothing else. Apparently not. Um, and again, you you said you nailed it in a town full of secret keepers, which is a, you know small town America that size. And I've you know I've mentioned this to you guys before that I come from a very small area that is currently being just pounded by heroin and heroin ODs. And I'm like, you know, we obviously heard about the shooting in Ohio um, that took place, you know, in southern Ohio not too terribly long ago. But this vanishing women series is very troubling because one of the size of the town, two of the fact that. It took till they were all gone, really, till somebody recognized that there was a problem. Mm. Um, I was going to say the <clears throat> as you're describing this, you use the term a town full of secrets uh, to cite my other all time favorite of Twin Peaks. One of the themes that you know it's kind of subtle and in the background there. Uh, Twin Peaks is about the murder of the homecoming queen, right? But there's a second victim who is uh, left catatonic by by the perpetrator. Uh, unable to speak, but who was on the wrong side of the tracks. And people have said, have debated whether, like, the show putting her in the background, like, is that just bad writing? Mm-hmm. Or is that a metaphor? 
for how no no the town is worried about the homecoming queen right and that girl who lives on the wrong side of the tracks eh, we're not going to worry about her as much or uh, this other victim you know, murder which might be in a neighboring town uh, of a prostitute is that connected eh, we're not going to worry about that too much um you know, there's a lot of dramatic material, you know, material there you see in, in you know, uh, crime thrillers and such. Uh, I think of the Bosch series. The idea of, you know, we, we, we like to have a society where all victims matter. Mm-hmm. But there's this nagging sense that we don't. And, and I don't know it's a matter of, uh, you know, limited police resources, limited media resources, or just an expectation that on these uh, poorer communities with, with drug addictions and uh, often kind of living, you know, on, perhaps on the wrong side of the law, that we're not going to worry about murders in those communities as much. Um, but it sounds like this is a documentary series that's, uh, you know. I, like- I, you know, I watch a lot of these. Very few stick with me. This one does. Um, and so I definitely recommend it to any of our listeners who are into true crime. This is a fascinating story. For those of you um, who follow along, we, we talked about Serial, uh, the podcast. Mm-hmm. about the murder, the serial podcast where the Carlton question, Adnan is now being considered for a possible retrial. And so Discovery ID is actually giving that trial and information, the TV treatment as well, over like a two-hour special. Mm. Um, so, you know, one of the things about Discovery ID that I love is that they show cases um, mostly that are solved. Mm-hmm. However, they also have several that are dedicated to unsolved murders, missing people, things like that. And so it's an attempt to try to reach out and get more public input if they can. And in this particular case, I mean, the, the cop couldn't have been more clear. Um, the poor sheriff of the town looked so desperate and sad. And he just wanted, he was like, every other sentence was, hopefully someone who is watching this <laughs> will be able to provide us some information. I'm like, because clearly you don't know anything. The small town nature probably makes it feel a little creepier and more unnerving because <clears throat> you can somewhat understand, One uh, th- if not excuse, how a, a big city police department, mm-hmm. lots of crimes, lots of reported crimes, limited amount of resources. At some point, a cold case goes on the shelf and the detectives get you know assigned a new one that is fresher and, and a better chance of, uh, of catching the perpetrator. In a small town... You, you would think six, one, six murders would stand out. Right. <laughs> you know, that that, you know, that seems like a lot. And then two, um, that they would not have uh, an overwhelming caseload of other crimes to be working on that you could dedicate to, to this. And also, if you're, if you're this small-town sheriff, you talk about the haunted tone in his voice. Well, it kind of should be haunted. Right. I mean, this is, this is why you go into law enforcement is to stop things like I this. I got crime. the impression this is not why he went into law enforcement. Um, I got the impression he went into law enforcement because he said he'd been like a 20-year vet of the force. Um, I'm going to guess these were like his first homicides outside of maybe like a possible, you know, domestic or something. Because he clearly, like these girls, had these women, whatever, had been reported missing. True. And so they had the information that they were missing. But, you know, he starts out by saying, you know, well, because of the addiction in the area and because, you know, obviously adults are free to be missing. Obviously, I have a, everyone know I always waive my right to be missing. Someone who loves me will know where I am at. And if they don't, then you tell the cops that I have waived my right to be missing. 
because as an adult, that's one of the problems they run into with these kind of transient places. Is they're like, she's missing. That doesn't necessarily mean she's dead until the body turns up. Yeah. The real that's problem right. I'm seeing in this is that the, the town of Chillicothe is an example of what's happening all over America because it begins with prescription drugs, misused oh, yes. and abused prescription drugs, which, if you ask me, opens up almost the entire population of the USA to potentially becoming criminals because it's not the standard criminal path of somebody born and raised on the wrong side. It is the standard path of pretty much all Americans, and that stuff is addictive, and I see a lot of people who don't plan on being criminals yeah. suddenly becoming them. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and that's what happened in the case of um, of Tiffany Sayer was that she had actually started taking I, – I don't remember if they even said which it was, which opiate it was for as a pain medicine after I, maybe the birth of a child. Mm-hmm. And that was what ended up causing her opioid addiction. Mm-hmm. She didn't do drugs in high school. She did, wasn't a drink. You know, that wasn't who she was. Um, but after getting addicted to the opioids, then she turned to heroin because it was a cheaper fix. She didn't have to go to the doctor the whole bit. She ended up prostituting herself out. And the thing about it is she went missing in a block. Wow. <laughs> you know, Mickey, I, I think probably the less the difference between like maybe a generation ago and now and as, as Dave is describing the opioid epidemic it's getting a lot harder to tell which side of the tracks is the wrong one. Oh, amen, brother. Yeah. Amen. That's a great way to put it, actually. And, uh, and I think that it's one of those uh, stories that I'm going to be fascinated with. Hopefully some of our listeners will join me um, and do hit me up with uh, any thoughts that you have on the issue. And again, it's called Vanishing Women. You can catch it on Monday nights or on demand on ID Discovery. And uh, coming up, we're going to talk about, while it's not a little more uplifting, to be completely frank, um, we are going to talk a little bit more about the Olympics because they are coming and we love them. But do we want to go? I'm June Lockhart, and I've served a lot of fried chicken to my family. But fried chicken can be a little greasy. That's why I'm so happy with shake and bake. You shake and bake. No frying. So your chicken comes out crispy, but not greasy like fried chicken. Mmm, you could really taste the difference. Crispy, but not greasy like fried chicken. Shake and bake. It's better than frying. Everyone asks, Corinthian leather. Of course, why not the best? You jackwagon! Welcome back to the Jim and Mickey Show. I am Mickey White, along with my co-host, Jim Garrity. And the Olympics are coming, whether we want them or not. And so far, I've got to tell you, Jim, I don't know that I want them. (laughs) All right. So we had talked about the general problems uh, of the Rio Olympics approaching quickly. Um, I believe the new slogan is the Rio Olympics, catch the fever. Uh Um, But uh, I'm now slightly freaked out by this. I was listening. I was referred to this on uh, Mike and Mike on ESPN radio. There are about 200 doctors who are not nut jobs. They are not selling, you know, snake oil or Uncle Binky's, you know, miracle cure, um, who signed a letter saying that the World Health Organization, which is a partner in the Olympic Games, by the way, I did not know that. Um, They're arguing that the World Health Organization is downplaying the threat of Zika. Um, And they basically are saying, look, you know, there's the World Health Organization has a conflict of interest. Uh, They really should must revisit the question of postponing or moving the games. I Um, said that. I said that a month ago. These are all like experts in viral pathology and, and, you know, from places like NYU and Harvard. And, you know, th- these are not, you know. Well, because th- these apparently, are- not only is it a danger to pregnant women, but it can stay 
similar to like Ebola, apparently, if, you know, it can stay in a man's system as well. And yeah. so if you get someone pregnant, yeah. there's, you know, the, the kid's going to come out with that weird Zika disease. Uh, one of the British athletes has said that he's freezing his sperm uh, because he does not want to be at risk of uh, <coughs> of doing something like this. A um, male athlete, a male American cyclist, T.J. Van Garderen, uh, has withdrawn his name from Olympic consideration because his wife is pregnant with her second child, and he doesn't want to take any chances. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we heard about Steph Curry, and it's totally his knee; it's nothing to do with Zika. Okay. I know, right? And like the problem with that is that you know, obviously, I Steph Curry is great. He's fantastic. He does have you know knee problems. He had some issues in the playoffs, but I don't buy for one second that that doesn't have more to do with Zika than it does with his knee. Um, one of the more interesting ones who have announced that they're not going is Savannah Guthrie. She is the on the morning show, the Today Show on NBC, and she's usually down with all of the Olympic coverage. But she announced yesterday that she is pregnant and therefore will not be going to Rio you know, with the rest of the NBC news staff. It is hard to begrudge any of these people their decisions. Um, and I was thinking about this in the, in the context of it, it makes them, you know, it's clearest in the NBA players who are debating whether they want to be part of the mm-hmm. U.S. basketball team. But let, let's, say, let's say football were an Olympic sport, Mickey. Would you want to see any of the Pittsburgh Steelers None. going? Right? I mean, nope. Uh, traditionally, as Americans, you want to see the best American athletes go and, and go for the gold and, you know, see the national anthem and all that stuff. And the International Olympic Committee, by picking Brazil, has messed this up so much that it kind of there's this nagging feeling of, nah, it's just not worth it this year. Well, there's that. And then, of course, you know, between the general lack of infrastructure and the collapsing pools that we've discussed and things that we've seen on TV as far as just the infrastructure itself isn't set up yet because Brazil is doing such a horrible job. But... In addition to that, now you have a threat to both your life and future children. Yeah. It starts to outweigh a gold medal, especially if you're someone like a Steph Curry who, you know, you're a pro basketball player. If you go to the Olympics, that's kind of like the tip of the hat to, you know, the U.S. Like kind of like, thank you, whatever, but I don't need this. I don't need the money. I don't need the notoriety. And I don't need Zika. It doesn't have, I don't know about you, Mickey, but when I hear the Brazil news sports minister predict there'll be, quote, close to zero cases of Zika recorded during the Olympic Games. I, yeah, I listen to that. Close I'm hearing there is no shark in the water in Jaws. <laughs> yeah. You see, know? what I'm hearing is we will not be reporting any Zika outbreaks during the Olympics. Somewhere That's in Papua New Guinea. When he says that we are not going, we don't, he didn't feel like they'd be reported any Zika infections. Yeah. That leads me to believe that they don't plan on reporting it. Somewhere in yeah. Papua New Guinea, the witch doctor who makes shrunken heads is feeling left out. <laughs> right now. <laughs> horrible. <laughs> well, okay, look. So you have this. You know, if a quarantine is, is a vast overreaction, okay, fine. Right? We already have cases here in the United States. It's, you know, mosquitoes fly where they want to fly. All that stuff, fine. But if, if this is – if Rio is one of the epicenters for this, mm-hmm. is it really a terrific idea to have like, you know, tens, hundreds, thousands of people from all over the world flying there, spending just enough time there to get bitten by mosquitoes, <laughs> and then fly back to their home country? In August. In August. In August. I want to throw this part in because I think that's so important. Like, you know, we're talking about the end of July, beginning of August in South America. I have been there. It is hot. It is swampy. And it is full of mosquitoes. 
And all I can think is that there's no way. And, of course, you know, everyone in the world is coming up with, oh, these are the best bug screens you can use. This is going to keep the Zika off you. I'm like, if you are an athlete and you're at that level and you've taken care of your body this long and done so much to get there, do you put it at risk? Yeah. It, you know, on the one hand, everybody, look, these guys spend their lives, they're, they're, these gals spend their lives training for the Olympics. But do you want that gold medal if it's going to give you this? And, and it, you know, this question, like, well, we, we just, you know, just, Zika just, just was, you know, came along fairly recently. <clears throat> I'm seeing now Spain's most famous athlete is threatening to skip. I, mm. You know, it, it seems. If they had listened to me and moved this to Texas um, <laughs> when I suggested it, yeah. that would have been smart. That's all I'm saying. I mean, one of the things is kind of this this increasingly clear um, <coughs> phenomenon is that there's really no threshold for which they would say, we don't want, we're not, okay, we're moving the Olympics or we're postponing it, mm-hmm. right? I mean, there's just no way <coughs> short of a, a meteorite. It's going to go Sweet forward. meteor of death. Yeah, and, and the message from the International Olympic Committee is going to be, fine, it's, everything's fine, don't worry, don't be concerned, all is well, Chip Diller. Um, and it's, you know, you, you kind of feel like at some point you really start, uh, uh, well, they it. didn't cancel the Berlin Olympics. Yeah. You know, it's a good point. Like, you know, and they, I, you know, I suspect that there are, you know, a lot game. of private conversations being taken place right now. Munich. Yes. Munich. Exactly. Right, I mean, uh, it's not like the Olympics haven't had their own disasters. Um, and, and issues before, obviously. Um, but I think that this is one that it's, it's going to be interesting not only for the athletes, but also for the spectators. Yeah. Because, you know, people often, as we discussed the last time we talked about the Olympics, so excited to go. Some people bought their tickets, you know, when it was announced and, you know, made plans. And now suddenly you're looking at a situation of, you know, again, is it safe for you to go there? Because not only are you dealing with all of the other things that are going on in South America. <laughs> Yeah, I know, it's not You've like also you know, got, it's the president yeah. and uh, yeah. financial calamity and, you know. I mean, there's just so much. And, and I so it does make me wonder, although I have to tell you, my thought is if they hold the Olympics, the majority of the athletes will go and the majority of the spectators will go too. And where we end up after that, that's on Brazil and the Olympics. Yeah, but but here's the thing: the the uh, I'm laying down a marker now, and you know if I end up being wrong, fine. You know, uh, you know, my suspicion is when it, when the Olympic Games are done, we will, will find out that there was. Noodle. I'm sorry. I said if you're wrong, I'll whip you with a wet noodle. Fine. Yeah. Uh, the the idea that you know, we will find that that there actually was greater concerns than they're letting on right now. Um, that there was a, you know, that there was some evidence that either the infrastructure wasn't ready or the water that the swimmers are going to be swimming in had higher levels of toxins mm-hmm. um, or that the threat of Zika was much higher as these like 200 doctors. This is not, you know, some some wacky bunch there and from a whole bunch of different countries. And I don't think these folks would sign this letter uh, casually, you know, because they realize what they're asking here. But I think they kind of recognize that, like, look, this is, you know, this is going to be another example of a corrupt untrustworthy institution violating its, its covenant with, with the fans, with the athletes and everybody involved. And actually, my suspicion is, is about a, you know, if not a year from now, by this fall, we'll be talking about whether we really should continue the International Olympics. And, and you know, it would be shocking. But I think it's, it's I'm, my, I'm laying down the marker that, uh, one, the... Well, the it's not like that topic wrong. hasn't come up in the past. Yeah. Um, and certainly, if they, if they fail epically in Brazil, which it certainly looks like they're heading that direction... Um, 
and they don't have a Mitt Romney to come down and save them, then I'm thinking, you know, you, you might hear conversations of it. But the biggest problem, as is always, is the Olympic Selection Committee. They yeah. try too hard to boost some of these economies. Yeah, that they're going into instead of looking at the reality of what it's costing that country to build the area and to keep it safe and put it together. And quite frankly, some countries just are not equipped to do it. All yeah. they can I, see I, in the future is the influx of foreign currency, strong foreign currency. That's oh, exactly. all yeah. any of the politicians can see right now. And, and it's always kind of been, you know, it's it's always been bad. It seems to be getting worse with each successive one. We, we you know, in a previous podcast, we kind of had a fun look at all the, everything that went wrong with the uh, Winter Olympics in Russia and, you know, mm-hmm. uh, Bob Costas. guy is going to be guy. the least of yeah. these people's worries. Um, but this this one's this one feels like it's, it's just a completely different category, um, and that the, the the conclusion will be the Olympic Committee risked the lives and obviously serious health issues for a whole bunch of athletes because they didn't want to cancel and it'd be too embarrassing. Huh. And you know, if that's the case, you know, Christ, you thought the uh, uh, the world who's it was the international uh, soccer guy was bad. Yeah, Sepp Blatter. Sepp Blatter of FIFA. You know. If you thought FIFA was bad, I think people are going to start, you know, spitting when they say the word International Olympic Committee uh, after this. And, you know, we'd, we're going to look back and we're going to say, you know, in early June, people were warning them and they ignored the warnings. So, um, you know, but I could be wrong. And if it turns out fine, you can One you can of the things that, yeah, one of the things they're saying is that they are currently spray, spraying the entire country, like, several times a day. Somebody's uh, brother-in-law got the contract for the spray, and it's been yeah, watered exactly. down by fifty percent, and so forth and so on. Yeah, exactly. Um, so supposedly they're spraying repeatedly throughout the day, but again, I, you know, that's a personal conversation. I suppose each athlete's probably going to have to have with their trainers and with their families, and make the decision because you know some of them are going to be. I mean, the outdoor Olympics, but some will be indoors, and so some athletes will probably be at greater risk than others. Um, so you know, I. I don't know what's going to happen in Brazil, but I hope that it doesn't end up that we're watching it like NASCAR and just watching for wrecks. <laughs> we found the good news. <laughs> Very slow motion. <laughs> <laughs> the watching the Olympic runner, the the, the uh, marathon runners crashing into each other. Um, so you know, this is this ends the sad, depressing, dark, and ominous portions of today's uh, podcast. We'll be right back with some cheery stuff right after this. The next segment will continue in a differently depressing manner. <laughs> I wish I knew how to quit you. I regret to announce a Philco sale. Everyone knows in a sale you sell your slow movers. But some genius put our best sellers on sale. This big screen color console, automatic fine tuning, high bright color tube, Philco reliability. You'd pay a lot, right? <laughs> we'll save your money. It's now on sale for under... $480. I think I'm going to be sick. Welcome back to the Jim and Mickey show. The dark, depressing episode. I am Jim Garrity, joined by <laughs> Mickey White. And we've looked at the mysterious decisions of the International Olympic Committee. We've looked at the mysterious disappearances of women in Ohio. But tonight, we will finally explain the mysterious disappearance of Trivial Tuesday this week. <laughs> yes, Mickey White's Twitter hashtag game, which was all growing in popularity, growing in interactivity, all of a sudden disappeared this week. Mickey, what happened? Shiloh. Ah. It, it, it's totally my fault. I apologize to all the listeners and all of our fans who play along with me each week. I had it all set up and ready to go. And then, as you know, we picked up Shiloh and out went my brains and in came all the puppy love. 
and therefore I was unable to get the Trivial Tuesday out this week, so I promise I will get to it next week, and I already have the topic all lined up, so that's good. Um, but one of the things that I did come across in the last 24 hours or so was a show that apparently is in its second season on True TV called Hack My Life. Mm. Now, what this is, a little half-hour show, and they cram in so much information, Jim. It's ridiculous. Like, one of the, the first episodes that I saw, they showed how to make a candle if you've run out. And you can actually, like, three different people had sent in ideas as to how to make a candle. So they tried each of the three. And one of them was if you didn't have a candle, you could wrap up crayons and put a paper wick up through the middle. Another involved, and I would have never thought of this, but taking a can of tuna in oil, poking a hole in the top, sticking a string down in so that the string gets covered in the oil, and lighting that. And then the final one was a stick of butter. Yeah, no, the final one was a stick of butter cracked in half. And then a toilet paper tissue was like kind of rolled up as though it were the wick. And they stuck it down in with a toothpick. And they lit all of them. Now, do you guys have any guesses as to which one actually burned the longest? Butter. I I believe reading once that a crayon can burn for about an hour. All right. Well, Dave is correct. Ah. The butter. <laughs> and and each of the half sticks will burn for four hours. So when Paula and Dean according inv- to them, it then just made the house smell awesome as well. <laughs> when Paula Dean invites you to a romantic candlelit dinner. <laughs> yeah, bring your butter. <laughs> um and one of the there were just so many cool things on there. One of them was like if you're out of double A batteries and you only have triple A batteries, if you take aluminum foil and you ball it up. And put it in the top, and you can connect the two. It'll work your remote. Mm. I mean, crazy stuff. They had a whole section on just aluminum foil. Like in each segment, they do what they call "Hack My Life All Stars," and they take one item and then show you how to use it like a thousand different ways. And in this episode that I watched, it was aluminum foil, and they taught you how to like tailgate hack yourself, like how to cook a three course meal in your car. Just absolutely insane stuff, most of which you would never use, by the way. But <laughs> it was real. they have a segment called What Then? Or What Now, I'm sorry. And so they literally took you through steps of the day saying, well, I didn't, for- I didn't get this because I used my aluminum foil on this. I don't have anything to cover my bowl. Oh, well, in that case, you want to use your shower cap to cover a clean shower cap to cover like a bowl that you're putting into the refrigerator type thing. And, you know, well, what do I need a shower cap? Then you can use a plastic bag from the grocery store around your head. What if, you know, I need to carry baskets or I need to carry something in a mall out of plastic bags, so I just use them on my head. Then they suggested, you know, putting everything in a laundry basket. So the whole thing is kind of tied together. But one of the craziest ones they did was how to cut a watermelon with a quarter. That I want to see. So do you use the quarter to buy a knife? No, they, they, they obviously took longer with the quarter than it did with the knife, but you could actually open a watermelon by cutting the whole way around, slowly rolling the quarter and cutting through that rind and then basically doing a karate chop right in the center. Huh. And the watermelon cracks in two. And not like Gallagher cracks in two, like cracks in two and you can eat it. Gallagher cracks <laughs> in two? Stuff. I'm telling you, and again, it's called Hack My Life. I really encourage our listeners to check it out because, again, most of the stuff you're probably never going to use, but, oh, my God, entertaining. And all the wonderful things that I had in my house, I'm like, wow, I would have never thought to use it for that. I mean, How to be a household it. MacGyver. Exactly. <laughs> that, that's exactly what the show is, How to Be a Household MacGyver. 
And um, again, it's a hack my life. It's on True TV. Um, I do hope you guys have a chance to, sec- to uh, check it out. And I was going to ask you guys to go ahead and send us any life hacks that you like to use that make your life easier. Feel free to share them with us on Twitter, on Facebook, um, anywhere that you converse with other TJAM's listeners. We'd love to hear that and, uh, and certainly love to hear from you. We appreciate your feedback every week. And uh, I am Mickey White. He is Jim Garrity. Dave Perkins is behind the board. And you've been listening to the one and only Jim and Mickey Show. We'll be back next week. Thank you.